this building was going to be destroyed. I mean, can you believe that? Why isn't Edgar Miller world famous? It's a question that's asked all the time. You see his work and you immediately think this artist is a genius. This mural was a way to re-educate people, hopefully. Uh -huh. What I really appreciate is how much they understood that it was something that had to be told by Native people. Where did the architect of this place go to architecture school? That's a setup. Well, he didn't. He went through high school only. This mural depicts the black metropolis here in Chicago. All of the things that African Americans have been able to contribute and participate in. That is a hell of an entrance right there. It is. You go up those stairs, you feel like you're, you're going to something momentous. I mean, that's sending you a message. Oh, yeah, that you are coming to someplace important and you're like a gladiator. Go see this stuff. It's worthy of the trip. Jeffrey Mayer is an eight-time Emmy Award-winning writer and program host for WTTW, known for his feature-length programs about the architecture and history of Chicago, including Chicago by L and the Chicago River Tour. He was also the host of the PBS series, Ten the Changed America, about the built environment across the country. Jeffrey has been a docent for the Chicago Architecture Center since 1987 and has been honored by the American Institute of Architects, Chicago, the Society of Architectural Historians, the American Society of Landscape Architects, and the Chicago Headline Club. Here to talk about his new program, The Most Beautiful Places in Chicago 2, is Jeffrey Bayer. Jeffrey Bayer, welcome. Glad to be here as always. First off, my continued appreciation to you, your crew, and WTTW for these programs. I cannot express enough how giddy I get when I see that there's something new in the works from you and the whole crew. Oh, my goodness. Well, you know what? I just learn a whole lot every time I do one of them, so I kind of get giddy, too. <laughs> so when I spoke with your longtime producing pal, Eddie Griffin, not long ago about his latest project, he said, and I quote, Tommy, coming to visit you is like the victory cigar moment of each project. That means we're close to the air date and everything is done, end quote. Is that how you feel when you see my face, Jeffrey Bear? I just feel Chicago history oozing out of every pore. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what I'm going for. In the most beautiful places in Chicago, too, you really make your way around the city from Lincoln Park to Jackson Park to Garfield Park to Chinatown, Austin, Bronzeville, Uptown and beyond. Tell me a little bit about the process of finding the most beautiful places in Chicago that you then go on to discuss. Well, you uh, you hit on the the um, the hidden uh, Easter egg in the title, Most Beautiful Places in Chicago, too. So this is a sequel uh, to a show that debuted in, in March, and it was called The Most Beautiful Places in Chicago, intentionally uh, provocative title, or did we really find the most beautiful places? And of course, you can't fit all of the most beautiful places in Chicago in one show. So, um, you know, this is the, a, a sequel because um, that show was, was very, um, there was a lot of great response to that show. And uh, as a result, you know, we knew we had to um, go out and um, broaden out and, 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 and feature more places. Um, and I guess it, you know, if you, all, if you think of it as sort of one project, you know, from the very beginning, we were thinking all about parks, green spaces, 
um, houses of worship, um, architectural ornament, uh, neighborhood and suburban treasures. And so many of these things were already on our list, um, having done the, uh, the first program. Um, and I think the way we decide what's in and what's out is sort of thematic. So, you know, in this pro program, uh, the first, it's like sort of three acts. And the first act is, um, I would say, kind of art on walls whether that's mosaics, murals, um, you know, things of, of that nature. Uh, the second act is loosely buildings, uh, architecture, um, and the third act is nature. And, um, you know, we, one thing I'd, I'd, I'd always wanted to feature um, three particular houses that I, I know of and that I think are, are amazing. Uh, Glessner House, which is now a museum in the South Loop on uh, 18th Street, formerly the Gold Coast of, of Chicago before it moved to the north side. Um, and this is a, a mansion, a sort of radical, revolutionary, Richardsonian Romanesque style mansion that kind of subverted the sort of local Victorian architectural styles and kind of uh, amazed in everyone and appalled some uh, arts and crafts style. Um, and, and then this crazy dome-shaped house in Aurora, the Ruth Van Sickle Ford house um, that by a self-taught architect using found materials like rope and you know, discarded chunks of glass and uh, really a great place. Uh, and, and then this, this totally hidden gem, this sort of handmade house in Old Town by a, a, a crazy sort of polymath artist named Edgar Miller. Um, and it's just, it kind of defies description. Just every, every square inch of it is hand carved wood and ceramic, handmade ceramic tile and stained glass and plaster relief um, uh, in all in this sort of sort of bohemian kind of early to mid 20th century uh, primitivist kind of um, uh, counterculture style um, that's that's fantastic. Um, so, you know, I wanted to include those those homes in the show. Um, and then a lot of natural areas that we didn't get to include in, in the first show, Chicago's, you know, really remarkable, remarkable collection of parks and how different they are over the, as, and how they evolve over the generations, ending with millennium, beginning with the Frederick Law Olmsted kind of, you know, Victorian pleasure grounds and ending with this sort of postmodern uh, Millennium Park. Um, so you know, uh, it, it was hard to figure out what to, uh, how to narrow down the list. I guess I'd say that. Sure. And honestly, your programs really do have something for everyone, you know, for the average viewer, phenomenal sites. There's so much to look at, uh, for the history nerd like me, the details about how a place came to be. Do you ever find it difficult to find the right balance between pretty and history and kind of the whole shebang? Um, because you're the you're the I, I, primary writer on this, right? Was I, uh, this in yeah, collaboration but, with anyone? Yeah, well, I collaborated 
closely with this wonderful producer who also produced the first show. Her name is Bridget Sarno. Sure. And and just a great team. Uh, our associate producer uh, Tim Farron and the most amazing director of photography, cameraman, um, Oral Usair, wonderful editor, Jeff Landsman. Um, but yeah, I'm 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 the principal writer. Uh, I kind of defined the first program and that we really continued in this program was a balance between physical beauty and just these amazing stories of the people who are showing us these places and 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 how deeply meaningful they are to them um and so the beauty in the show is really partly the human element as well as the physical beauty of the thing itself so for example the um, if you've ever seen this um uh mosaic underneath the uh lakeshore drive underpass in the lakeshore drive underpass uh, on foster avenue you know it's made of like broken pieces of tile and it was built by a it was a community mural a lot of non-artists you know supervised by artists put it up there it sparkles as you drive under lakeshore drive it really brightens up the whole gloomy underpass experience um and it it is all about native american um native americans both past and present in chicago and it was in, um, sort of dreamed up by the Chicago Public Art Group. They don't have any Native American members. And um, so they went out and made sure that they brought the community together. And, and they, they found these two artists who are in our program, Chris Papan and Deborah Yepa Papan, who are Native American and who became sort of the lead artists. You know, so the mural is kind of beautiful. I mean, I've noticed it a million times going under there and the way it sparkles because it also has a little piece of mirror and things in it. But if you like, go right up to it, you know, some of the pieces of tile are broken and there's a little bit of rust on the metal door and some of the tile has just fallen off um, over the years. It's it's no longer um, objectively pristine and beautiful, but the story it tells is beautiful and especially the way the two people we interviewed, the artists, tell their story, um, you know, invests it with or brings out so much of the beauty of it uh, that you might not see from just looking at it. So it's really, it's really about those people and their stories uh, as much as it is about the the physical beauty. There's, I mean, you know, the, the the house in Aurora that I described to you. A lot of people would look at that house and be like, well, "What is that?" You know, um, I think it's beautiful. The owner, I think it's, I think it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, the owner, Sid Robinson, thinks it's beautiful, but the way he talks about it and, and, and he's such a loving steward of it. And, and as, as we see it and, and learn about it through Sid's eyes, you know, we, we, we see the beauty. Chicago Vocational High School on the south side is this vast high school and it has an undeniably beautiful, like heroic classical entrance with columns and these concrete relief sculptures of all the kind of, of um, technical skills that are taught at Chicago Vocational High School, like, you know, a drill press and uh, architectural T-square and, uh, you know, mechanical gears and things. Um, the building itself is 
big and kind of a big kind of looks like a big factory with a fancy entrance but when lee bay the architecture critic and uh author talks to us about it you get it i mean he is an alum and he's deeply proud of it and he was inspired by those that big grand entrance as he went in um and and so and and it's an example along with many other things he talks about in the program of kind of overlooked architecture on the south side um he wrote a whole book about it um and we feature some of the other locations in the show as well um but lee just comes through really you know helping us see what's what's so beautiful about this place not just the physical uh, building itself but the um the meaning of it one of the notes that i had written down was about your segment with lee bay who you know there are very few people that can get across how important south side architecture is and how overlooked it is and even when there's twin buildings to something on the north shore or you know the north side of the city that get acknowledged south side doesn't get that same acknowledgement yeah you're referring to these two high schools um schur's high school uh on milwaukee avenue on the north side and uh bowen high school it's on 89th street it's in the south chicago neighborhood on the south side yes um they are identical twin buildings they were both designed by um the same architect they opened on the same day the one on the north side is a city landmark the one on the south side has never been landmarked right yeah yeah i mean it was it was kind of stunning to hear that like how does something get overlooked to that extent but i'm glad that you and lee bay and others are kind of acknowledging some of the stuff that you know the the inequities in acknowledging these architectural uh, places yeah one of the uh, one of the segments uh in this program is about the chicago cultural center you guys talk a lot about restoration throughout and whenever i hear about the restoration process for stained glass windows like the ones at second presbyterian church uh not too far from cluster house or was like in one, our first which was in our first show yes exactly and you know the ones you show at the culture center I'm amazed at how meticulously everything must be handled to get these windows looking new again. What are some of the surprises for you while making most beautiful places uh, programs? I'm always surprised and and amazed at at and it's one of my most favorite things in my work is uh, oh my gosh I've I had no idea that was here. Um, I, I like to make these programs sort of a balance between those things. So, for example, we start in the cultural center because obviously it's iconic and everyone I take in there who has never seen it, their jaws drop. They just cannot believe their eyes when they see um, these incredible Tiffany mosaic uh, walls and the glass domes. Um, so there's that element of the familiar but for example i'd never been in the ruth van sickle ford house i'd known about it for years um and in this program um in particular on the south side in jackson park um we went bird watching with a a, a naturalist named deja perkins and she took us into a part of jackson park that I had no idea existed. I'd never been there before. 
it was it's 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 newer than the original Jackson Park because it's not a Victorian uh, example of landscape design. It is like an incredible prairie that's mm. been um, planted. I'm I'm sure planted there. It's not natural prairie, but it's 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 an example of native prairie that's been um, created. Absolutely you just can't believe you're right in the middle of the city you just feel like you're out on the prairie and and then seeing through her eyes um all the birds that you can see there you know i'm somebody who kind of is aware of birds in the background she know she spots them like you know you can't see anything and she's oh there's there's one right there and you know you're like where what do you see and you know different kinds of birds so many kinds of birds um her message in the show is more sobering you know um, she has made a career out of helping people of color inviting people of color out into nature and and helping them feel welcome and not threatened um in nature um you know kind of I mean, we, we know the story of this bird watcher in Central Park in New York, who's a black guy who was bird watching and had the police called on him. Um, and, uh, you know, that's happened to Deja, too. And um, she wants people of color to to feel as included and as welcome in nature and also um, the rest of us to include their research and their data about their neighborhoods where we don't think of, of much we where 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 many people don't think of, of much uh nature even existing she didn't think nature existed in the city when she was a kid it was one of the most memorable amazing interviews she was one of the most amazing people i've ever met it um, is it is a great segment and i like that she i believe she heard the sound of a bird and knew exactly what it was without having to look through binoculars and even you were like wait what like how did you you know but i guess if you're a birder and you're really you know you you spend the time you study and you learn the sounds and everything it looked so remarkably relaxing i thought i'm i'm upset that i'm just hearing about it now as the weather's starting to take a turn but it's on my list of most beautiful places in chicago to visit once the weather uh you know levels out again come spring so yeah. yeah um so fans for fans of you specifically there is a scene involving one of your talents of which i was unaware you play the piano so how long have you been playing and what was it like tickling the ivories on a gorgeous steinway piano that has also been played by the likes of rachmaninoff prokofiev uh, i'll say that three times fast and others yeah um paderewski also oh um, sure so this is a piano in the parlor at glessner house with a custom-made case um i think i started learning piano in third grade i have not played piano in decades and what i play in the show is like the one and only thing i know how to play which is a little um like a ragtime thing you play yeah, or something minor blues uh that i have always kept up with but just you know periodically sit down at piano and for two and a half minutes you know riff around on a little f minor blues f minor blues why my my high school jazz piano teacher taught me that is beyond me because nobody 
plays in F minor. So I can't even sit in with anybody else because they're like, what are you playing? You know, that's <laughs> not a key and most anybody uses in, in the blues world or jazz world. Um, so that was actually something I, I, uh, they let me play the piano just a little bit and I started doing it. And my producer was like, Oh, we got to film that. And I'm like, no, I don't, nobody's going to care, <laughs> but I guess you did. So she said <laughs> the viewers will, will think it's interesting. So I was going to do a whole other gag. I was going to, we were going to shoot the piano where you couldn't see my hands. And I was going to pretend to play Rachmaninoff while we rolled in some, uh, recording of Rachmaninoff, and then I was just going to hold up my hands, and the music was going to continue to play. Uh, but the whole crew thought it was uh, better for me to to show off that I could play this little bit of uh, blues. So you saw my entire repertoire, right? There. I oh, that so I, I was thinking maybe during your high school years when you learned the F minor blues that was super popular for like a six month stretch. And your teacher was like, you got to learn this. It will always come in handy. No idea. Yeah. No idea. Yeah. But um, I did play piano much more uh, and trombone in my earlier days. I play, I played music a lot, um, but I haven't kept up with it at all. Is the trombone still in a closet somewhere? Yeah. Oh, it hasn't been touched in at least 20 years. Wow. Eh, it's nice. A you really kept cool it. Cool. King trombone. Uh, that my dad got used when I was in maybe fifth or sixth grade. It had been played by somebody in the, it had been the trombone of somebody who played in the house orchestra at the Palmer house. Oh, wow. In the pump room. Uh, not the, uh, wasn't the pump room. The pump room was the ambassador East. It was the uh, empire room. It was, I've got it without even Googling it. The empire room at the Palmer house. It Just took a second to, for all the synapses to connect yeah. properly. So it was a trombone. It was a trombone that was owned by uh, one of the trombonists in the house orchestra, at the empire room at the Palmer house and, and which has been closed for decades. And uh, now I have it. Well, in my basement. you've got, you've got the history with that trombone. You got to play the Steinway at the Glessner house. Like that's, that's uh, all very cool. Uh, speaking of the Glessner house of which I'm a big fan, we should mention that many of the places you visit in the most beautiful places in Chicago too are open to the public and free. Uh, a few places offer tours like Glessner house and for the private residences. Well, uh, viewers will have to enjoy these vicariously through the program. Uh, I assume that aspect goes into planning as well. Yes. That you have a kind yeah. of a nice mix of, of everything. Yes. Almost everything in the show is open to the public. We want it to be that way. Um, but I always think it's fun to share a few things with people that they couldn't otherwise see. Sure. Uh, so that's why we went to, for example, Ruth Vensicle Ford house in Aurora um, the Handmade House by Edgar Miller in uh, in in Old Town. Those are probably the only two in the show that that are not something that people could go visit themselves. The program features footage of an architect returning to Chicago and upon visiting one of his creations, uh, which had been altered and neglected for many years, rightfully flips out. Do you think other designers and architects from long ago would be more horrified or elated by what Chicago has become? It depends on the architect and on what has happened to their buildings if they still exist. Mm. Um, 
you know, Burnham, Daniel Burnham, uh, saw Chicago in his day, um, late 1800s, early 1900s, as this smelly, dirty, overcrowded um, industrial city, docks and wharves along the river, jammed with, you know, schooners and canal boats, and um, the river had not yet been reversed, so, you know, pollution and uh, disease. He um, had this very idealized vision of Chicago, the 1909 plan of Chicago that he and Edward Bennett created. He, Burnham himself, um, fled to Evanston. <laughs> he said, I can no longer bear to have my children on the streets of Chicago. Um, so I think if he looked, if he saw Chicago today, um, the downtown and certainly the park system, um, he would probably be amazed and, and marvel at what we have, although his view was much, very much neoclassical. So all of our glass, shiny, modern buildings would potentially horrify him. Um, uh, and, and actually, before I go on with that, you know, I, I think any of these people coming forward in time, um, you know, there's also strong questions of inequity in Chicago. And so, you know, if we're talking about the beautiful lakefront parks or some of our beautiful neighborhood, beautiful neighborhoods downtown, great. Um, but if they went and saw what's happened to more disadvantaged neighborhoods in Chicago, they'd probably be heartbroken. Although in their day, they were probably very Eurocentric and, and, and not very understanding of or welcoming of, of diversity in Chicago. Um, but I think about, gee, Louis Sullivan, now he, you know, he was the father of the skyscraper and now his skyscrapers were highly ornamented. They just were ornamented in an entirely unique way, not inspired by history at all. And he had this whole system of elaborate ornament, right? So what would he think about a glass and steel skyscraper, even the best ones in the world by Mies van der Rohe, which are in Chicago, you know, the Federal Center and the former um, IBM building along the Chicago River, which is the Langham Hotel now, or part of it is. Um, would he just be like completely like, well, okay, where's the, okay, that's the frame, where's the building? Yeah. You know? um, <laughs> he might, but maybe he would appreciate it. I don't know. Um, so it's, it's, an, it's a really cool question. It's a really interesting question. Certainly, I think architects who would see a building, you know, horribly altered that they had created would be probably horrified. Um, you know, a lot of buildings in the 60s, they took all of the ornament off of the base and like stuck inappropriate modern additions onto them. And a lot of that stuff's been undone uh, in subsequent years by wonderful restoration architects like Gunny Harbo, who is featured in our program. Um, but they might just think, what the heck did you do when they would see one of their buildings um, altered in an inappropriate way? Or demolished and replaced by some horrible building altogether, right? Well, like, you're talking about Louis Sullivan Stock Exchange in particular, you know. Sure. Which, um, 
Richard Nickel, the photographer and preservationist, died in the uh, collapse of a part of that building while it was under demolition. And and um, and you look at what it's been replaced by, and it's just this like really bad um, modernist building. Not a good one. There are many good ones. This is a bad one. Oof. All right, living or dead, who would be at the top of your wish list to have on one of your shows to discuss their impact on architecture in Chicago? What a question. There wow. you go. There you go. Um, I don't think I could get Frank Lloyd Wright to come on the show. Uh, although we've had, you know, there's, I, I've been at WTTW 34 years. Um, and um, there is a, a wonderful, um, so I know a lot about the previous history, even before I got here. And there's this wonderful interview show we have with featuring Frank Lloyd Wright. Um, and uh, it's Frank Lloyd Wright and Carl Sandburg being interviewed on a talk show in our in our show. And uh, one of the some, one of my colleagues here who was here way back when told, that told me that he remembers that day he was coming into work and out the front door came uh, having just been interviewed, came Frank Lloyd Wright and Carl Sandburg talking to each other. That had uh, to have been amazing. Yeah, how about that? Oh, boy. Boy, oh, boy. Yeah, isn't that crazy? That, um, beyond. So some of these people have personalities that might have made them really challenging or even obnoxious to interview, you know, like Louis Sullivan or Frank Lloyd Wright. Um Although I have to say, I've interviewed many, many, many famous architects, all of whom I felt intimidated about interviewing. But when we just start, when, when, they're, when you, they let their hair down and you really just start talking to them, they just give you great stuff. So, um, you know, those two are kind of the, the, the most um, famous who are no longer with us. Of course, I interviewed Jeannie Gang in... Um, the previous most beautiful places in Chicago. And I always love interviewing Jeannie. She gives you wonderful, uh, uh, a wonderful conversation. I've interviewed Frank Gehry a number of times. You know, he did the Pritzker Pavilion. He's always great. Um, so, but maybe some of the um, lesser, I mean, Burnham would probably, Daniel Burnham would probably give you just like a phenomenal interview because he was like totally into like promoting his vision, you know, um, and if you couldn't get Burnham, you'd get Bennett. Maybe Bennett. Yeah, yeah Bennett sure. might not be as um, um, high profile mm. as Burnham. But um, yeah, tell me about this Burnham plan. You know, <laughs> tell me about you... the five municipal piers that you think will uh, yes. dot the uh, dot the the lakefront. Well, you know, when you talk about this, it reminds me of a moment a long time ago when we were doing a, a TV show about the Chicago lakefront. And I'm talking about, it was probably 2008 or 2007. It was a long time ago. And um, I was standing on the lakefront at about 47th street, um, which is right around apparently where they broke ground for the, the beginning of the of building our lakefront park system in Chicago, which was part of the Burnham plan. And um, I can't remember, it might have been Charles Wacker, who was the big promoter of the Burnham plan, namesake of Wacker Drive. And they turned their shovels of earth and they said, this, this is the day 
that is the beginning. This is the beginning. You know, this is where it all begins. Uh, this is the day that 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 begins the process of giving Chicago the most beautiful lakefront in the world. And I, I, I spoke those words, which had been spoken right there, you know, I don't know, 100 years earlier, 80 years earlier. And here I am standing on this beautiful lakefront park, which none of those people lived to see. And they knew they would not live to see it. They knew that what they were giving to Chicago was something that future generation, it's a gift to future generations. And it got a chill up my spine because I realized that, that what, what an amazing act to set something in motion that you know you're never going to see completed. Um, but having faith that it will be completed, of course it hasn't been. Uh, <laughs> the islands that Burnham envisioned running south from Northerly Island all the way have mm, never got built. Yeah. Um, certain portions, but, and a lot of the Burnham plan was never realized, but a lot of it was, you know, and, and to think that, that they had that kind of, like they already did see the future. They weren't going to physically be here when it came to pass, but they did see it. They did see a future. I think your appreciation of that and the fact that you got chills saying those words in the site uh, at the site where, you know, the words had been said all those years before uh, is another reason why you are so good at conveying just how amazing this city is. The Most Beautiful Places in Chicago 2 premieres Monday, December 4th at 7 p.m. on WTTW and at WTTW.com forward slash beautiful places. Jeffrey Bayer, thanks for being with us today. And thanks for what you do to show off the beauty of Chicago. Thank you. Anytime. It's always a pleasure to be with you.